electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Market moving insight and analysis. Join Jim Cramer, David Faber, and me, Carl Quintanilla, on the opening bell hour of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Good Tuesday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer. David Faber has the morning off. Stocks are looking to rebound as we watch some pre-announcements roll in from Q4. We'll watch Washington. The House gets set for impeachment proceedings and the U.S. expanding vaccine eligibility. Our roadmap begins with the corporate backlash, though. More companies distance themselves from President Trump. Social media is cracked down. Facebook bans Stop the Steal. Twitter pulls QAnon content. And the COVID about face. The White House expected to make some sweeping changes in the vaccine rollout guidelines. First up, though, Jim, we're going to talk about corporate America's ongoing response and really the way in which this growing list of companies is changing the face of uh, campaign finance. Look, the more we learn about what happened Wednesday, uh, the more we understand that it was even more violent of our of our principles as a nation. And one after another, companies are realizing, look, we got to just stay away from anything that would fund uh, an attempted coup, a, a putsch, an insurrection. That's how they view it, by the way. And uh, they know that that's going to alienate their customers. I, I don't necessarily think that there's very high mindedness here. I think there's just a recognition that Wednesday became a third rail uh, and uh, political donations that go to someone or anyone that ends up uh, supporting insurrection is not good business. Uh, yes, there are people at every company that actually feel uh, with their heart what uh, what a united country could be if they get involved. And this will unite the country more, I have to believe. But I think the Wednesday nadir is forcing a lot of people to really soul search about whether they're ruining their business if they're throwing money at the people who want to cause an insurrection. Right. Do you think um, it results in a wave of boycotts? from either side? Is there earnings liability from having from being forced into taking a stance like this? I, I always think there is. But remember what happened with Facebook. It turned out that uh, they turned the other cheek, went a little bit more small, medium sized business. Next thing you know, all the advertisers come back. Uh, there have been issues with YouTube. The advertisers come back. The advertisers are searching desperately to try to find young people. A lot of these companies are involved uh, with the, with youth. Uh, I've been a couple surveys going on which say that a lot of companies are trying very hard to say to be on an Amazon. Uh, and if they're uh, at all affiliated with someone who is uh, who killed people uh, at, at Capitol Hill, uh, that's the equivalent of backing someone in felony murder. Uh, felony murder being something that involved makes everybody involved culpable. I think that this is a revolutionary right. thing because companies are recognizing, wow, maybe we were in bed. Maybe we helped a lot of people who tried uh, who had organizations that tried to storm the Capitol. And while it is absolutely true that there were senators and representatives who still voted in favor of uh, believing that the election was a big lie, uh, the, the advertisers and the companies that are pulling out recognize, wow, it is going to really taint our brand if we continue to find that we may have backed organizations that favored overthrow of our nation. 
Right. Uh, it goes beyond, of course, uh, campaign contributions, Jim. Uh, PayPal taking down sites that raised funds for people who went uh, to the attack. Uh, CRM, we still don't know exactly how they have uh, taken action uh, against some ways in which the RNC uses the platform and the technology, but uh, that's something that we are reporting this morning as well. Yeah, but I mean, I think that uh, Salesforce is a little bit over, o- opaque. I think they'll come out with more of a of, of a clear view. Uh, Mark Benioff has uh, ha- has always uh, thought about these issues well ahead in advance of every of any of the companies that we're talking about. I, I just want to be sure that people understand when I talk about the idea of insurrection. I'm just looking and reading the conventional media. I'm not. Some sort of uh, Yahoo is saying, you know, this is what happened. Uh, the more we find out about what happened Wednesday, uh, it, the more we realize that it was an attempted insurrection. And uh, that is not something that any company can possibly be affiliated with, given the fact that this is not a question of, uh, of say, uh, some of the issues that have caused boycotts before. I mean, this is uh, the republic breaking the republic versus keeping the republic. Uh, again, I come back to Timothy Snyder's excellent piece this week in New, uh, New York Times Magazine. I, I suggest everyone read that, which is all about the idea yeah. that breaking the republic is something that none of the companies on this wall can afford to support because everyone will target them. Everyone, you, me, advertisers, we'll all target them because we're not in favor of insurrection. I, there are, uh, again, I always like to default to Lincoln. And Lincoln talked about the notion of the union versus the insurrection. Uh, the fact that we have to even mention Lincoln is a little bizarre. But this is what happens when they cross the Potomac. Uh, that's what he was biggest, his biggest fear was, was that uh, Robert E. Lee would cross the Potomac. And, and suddenly we find a Confederate flag in the Capitol. And it's a little chilling, Carl. Little chilling. Yeah, it is it's really uh, this scary. Morning, Jim, this is very, it, it is. It's 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 disturbing. Uh, this morning, CBS reports that the president admitted to Leader McCarthy that he was partly to blame for the violence, and that multiple Republicans confirmed those details to CBS News. We're going to hear from him today as he emerges for the first time, really, since the attack in Texas, uh, where he'll make an appearance at the at the border wall. Is there upside risk to the markets if the president even hints uh, that he's taking some blame, that the process next a week from Wednesday will be more orderly than we think? Uh, not if he also says at the same time that he won a, that it was a landslide uh, and that the right. election was stolen. Then it'll have the opposite effect. It will make it so we even need more National Guard, more people to state houses. Uh, he, he, it's in his hands. Uh, if he continues to go with the big lie of what he thinks is the big truth, then I think that it's uh, game one for the insurrectionists. Uh, again, I'm picking my word carefully because they were insurrectionists. And I think that there's a lot of people who woke up and recognized that their opponents were not people who want them to continue in government. They want a different government. And uh, so if the president says, listen, it was a big landslide, but I, I take some blame, all that we're going to hear is the big landslide and people are going to want to pull the, the microphone because I think that the media from the, the vast, I know he would call it the mainstream fake media, uh, the, the media that uh, issues a lot of lies. But after what happened Wednesday, it, it's, I don't think it's really, I think it's more empirical than anecdotal. I mean, we saw it. You know, right. Also, when you see the Capitol Guards being uh, uh, attempted to be killed, it, you, it, it's just very sobering. So to hear once again that it was a landslide is to say, OK, well, we accept that. We accept what happened because we're trying to change the government. And 
again, I, I want to emphasize, I am not making any breakthrough comments here. I am just simply looking at what the history books are going to say when they come out in the next few years. Uh, I, no, I don't. I don't think anything. I don't think anybody looks uh, askance at what you're saying, okay, Jim. NBC you. this thank morning you, was reporting that 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 House Democrats were briefed by U.S. Capitol Police uh, about the specific threats to the Capitol in the coming days, and that the purchase of a bulletproof vest is a reimbursable expense. So that's sort of where we are, Jim. And it, it brings me back to what Sheryl Sandberg said yesterday from Facebook that they've banned the phrase uh, "stop the steal." that Zuckerberg's not going anywhere, that their controls, Jim, were better than any of their uh, competitors, um, and that they won't lift the POTUS ban, and that that's not reviewable by their new board. Well, look, I, I better late than never. Uh, all these sites feasted on the traffic that came from this. Uh, I, I think that at a certain point, we're going to have to have a commission which analyzes how, many, how much these sites played a role in an organized attempt to overthrow the country. Uh, it is a role that they did so inadvertently, but I think increasingly we're going to not buy the word inadvertently. We're going to say, you know what, that doesn't fit in the lexicon. Uh, it is, it is uh, purposeful because you wanted the money. Uh, now, they may say, well, wish we, you know, we don't really want the money, but it happened. It, it happened. I do think we, in the end, I want to see what happens to the 100 representatives, 120 representatives that still voted in favor of, of something that was... Uh, uh, endorsed by the insurrectionists. I, I don't like to call them a mob. They're insurrectionists. It's a good term because it's yep. what they were. Yep. Yeah, look, look up the term and, and you'll understand why Jim's using that language. Yeah. So we turn our attention to the House uh, today and tonight and tomorrow. Uh, it's not just about impeachment, of course, also about the 25th Amendment and pressure on the vice president. Eamon Javers has a lot more on that this morning. Hi, Eamon. Yeah, hi, Carl. There are real security concerns here in Washington as we gear up for that impeachment vote, which is expected tomorrow. The 25th Amendment uh, not expected to be undertaken today by the vice president of the United States, although Democrats in the House are pushing him to do that. Meanwhile, we're learning that uh, Capitol Police officers are under investigation by Capitol Police officials uh, for uh, potentially aiding and abetting uh, that insurrectionist Trump loyalist mob on Wednesday. They're trying to get to the bottom of just how badly the Capitol Police may have been penetrated uh, by this ideology. And separately, the Washington Post now this morning reporting uh, new concerns inside the Secret Service. The Washington Post reporting uh, that a Secret the Secret Service is investigating one of its officers who posted uh, on social media accusing lawmakers of treason for their involvement in counting the Electoral College votes last week. The officer's post also said it's offense time finally. The Secret Service giving this statement to NBC News saying the U.S. Secret Service carries out its law enforcement mission in an objective and apolitical manner. Any allegation that an employee is not carrying out their duties in that manner will be investigated. So all of those are the security concerns surrounding this upcoming inauguration of the president as the FBI warning yesterday of potential armed protests in up to 50 state capitals uh, over the next week. So all of that, sort of the stew boiling around this idea of impeachment as it moves forward on Capitol Hill. We do expect a number of Republicans to support the impeachment vote on the House floor tomorrow. Unclear just how many. And then, of course, the prospects, guys, are unclear for the impeachment uh, in the United States Senate, how quickly they can conduct a trial uh, and move forward with a vote on removal of the president and how many votes there are for removal of the president in the Senate, all that unclear right now. Back over to you.
Amen. Thank you for that. Our Amen Javers. Uh, Jim, it does bring us to the uh, journal op-ed this morning by the editorial board. They argue that Biden should call off the House Democrats on the impeachment chase, says it could let the president compete with Biden for attention, give the then former president a platform to rally his supporters. In their words, it makes more sense to let him repair in new irrelevance to Mar-a-Lago. Well, what do you think? That was the stance of Joe Biden a couple of weeks ago, which is that if you ignore uh, the president, then you create a uh, certainly a higher minded uh, way to be able to stay uh, below uh, the controversies. I don't know. I mean, that was the I, I that was Biden's plan. It, it, it's kind of an oddity that it became the journal's plan. But uh, that's, you know, again, post Wednesday. I mean, Wednesday was a really important uh, day in our country. And I know that there are a lot of people who want to say that it wasn't. But there are many people in overthrows or attempted overthrows in other countries through the years that would also claim they weren't being insurrectionists. Uh, and we learned out learned later that, that they were. I mean, what do we have a police force within a police force here, too? I mean, I think all these things just yeah. say, just cut in favor of uh, President elect Biden is trying to stay above the fray and let's move on. Not unlike, I remember I hated that that, uh, that put Ford apart Nixon uh, because I wanted Nixon to stand trial. But in retrospect, what uh, President Ford was doing was moving forward uh, and trying to unite the country. Uh, that was a, a, historically, I, I found out that I was wrong. I hated Nixon so much and uh, felt that there really was, it was time for a high crimes and misdemeanors, truth and reconciliation committee. And President Ford wisely mm-hmm. just said, uh-uh, we're going forward. I didn't think it was wise. It was. Uh, I think that it would be wise to just go forward if I were uh, Biden. And I like President Ford. I thought he was a terrific guy. Uh, but it was only after I realized that I was mistaken in my judgment that we shouldn't just have a show trial. Right. It's hard to believe how much history is rhyming right now, Jim. Oh, is it ever? Um, we do want to tell our viewers. We do want to tell our viewers uh, that Las Vegas Sands has announced that its founder, chairman, and CEO Sheldon Adelson has died at the age of 87 uh, due to complications from non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Uh, the son of Jewish immigrants became one of the world's richest men by building a casino empire, which expanded from Las Vegas to Macau to Singapore. Uh, Adelson, also a major donor to Republican politicians, including the president. Jim took it public in 04, uh, became extremely wealthy, also a huge proponent for Israel. He's going to leave a legacy well beyond gaming. Yeah, I, I, mean, I think that anyone who has visited Israel knows you, his name is everywhere, but most prominent places. But I think his legacy, he had a vision uh, that China, that Macau, was going to be uh, a place of great opportunity, not just the United States. Steve Wynn shared that vision. Steve Wynn obviously not heard from because of issues uh, involving uh, nothing to do with his his business and, well, nothing to do with the business of Wynn. But uh, these are remarkable people who had a great vision. Uh, I I think that people will say, how can you not mention that he backed uh, uh, President Trump? Well, I don't know. Belichick. (laughs) The people make mistakes. (laughs) Nelson Peltz came on air and said I voted for the wrong guy. But Sheldon uh, Adelson stood for uh, worldwide, uh, a worldwide prominence of what the United States, uh, let's say, uh, believed in, which is uh, capitalism. And I think that I've always felt that 
he and Steve Wynn were giants in terms of trying to be able to get it so that the Chinese uh, recognize that there's another way to do business. Uh, I don't think that's what he's going to be celebrated on right now because it's so convoluted how we feel about China. But uh, Adelson saw it. I always called it Macau Sands. <laughs> that's well said, Jim. Um, and our thoughts are with his family, uh, Sheldon Adelson, uh, dead at the age of 87. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. When it comes to our ability to manufacture, yesterday our partner uh, already announced what I'm going to announce also myself today, that uh, uh, we feel now very confident that we will uh, increase dramatically our production for this year, uh, up to 2 billion doses, uh, and we feel comfortable that we will be able to deliver that. That's Pfizer's Albert Borla talking about the fact that they have more vaccine right now than they can use. In the meantime, Jim, these new guidelines expanding eligibility to everyone 65 plus, including those uh, with conditions uh, and, a, and, a, and not waiting for that second dose. This is exactly what Gottlieb called for earlier in the week. Yeah, Dr. Gottlieb got this dead right now. What I want to know is how many if you started with a system which said the governors can do it. Uh, and then you come up with these rules. Uh, the governors, what are they going to do? I mean, there's just a gigantic backlog. Let's just use New York, for example. Uh, no one really knows exactly where you are when you stand in New York uh, because they don't know. You don't know whether they've done what workers they've done. Are you one B? Are you whatever? Uh, or a lot of us who are registered in New Jersey, we don't know. We got some thank you for that. We registered. Uh, so I don't know whether this is supposed to supersede. I'm sure it isn't. But again, the government talks with forked tongue. I mean, uh, who's supposed to play this game? Is it the feds? Is it the state? Is it CVS? Is it Walgreens? I don't know. I mean, I think this is terrific because one thing is certain. We got a lot more vaccines than we have people who are taking the vaccine. Uh, Remember, we were able to vaccinate millions of people in three weeks in New York City in 1947 on smallpox. We obviously haven't been able to do that now. But I think best practices from states merged with the 65 is certainly going to make it so that maybe we have more of a federalist system. I mean, I know I've I've reserved my 65. I'm going to Florida. And I'll go to Florida twice, even if it has to be quarantined, because yep. I want it. And if because right. I, I believe that these scientists are unbelievably good. Wouldn't this be great if you can just go and get it, which is what we thought it would be? I think we're going to have a vaccine glut. Dr. Gottlieb suggested that that's the case. This Pfizer news is fabulous. I got to congratulate Pfizer. I mean, what a great job. I, I, no, I, no one's arguing there, Jim. Yeah. And I know you've been talking on Twitter this morning about the prospects for J&J. Maybe we can discuss that after the break. Sure. Uh, and how that might help things even further in February. Along with some calls uh, this morning on Neo and Wells. We'll watch the 10-year 118 this morning. More Squawk on the Street continues in a minute. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, 
which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. Let's get Jim's Mad Dash watching some Zoom today. Yeah, if I told you there was a stock that was at 588 that's now at 337, you say, well, that's a disaster. Well, no, that happens to be Zoom. Uh, now, this is a crucial moment, Carl, because they're offering $1.5 billion in stocks and trade tomorrow. The uh, millennials uh, have been uh, cited as being people who just love secondaries. So this could be a, a fulcrum moment in wondering whether Zoom regains its momentum uh, I, I happen to think Zoom is an unbelievably good company, and I think Eric Yuan is doing a terrific job. He's adding a lot of new features, but the stock has been terrible. Uh, maybe this is going to clean uh, up uh, what was most concerned about. Uh, we've been seeing this process where after these secondaries trade, they, uh, they, well, this is a primary, this is Zoom stock, uh, they, they move up. So I want to watch this as a let's say, a demonstration of the real power of this market. Can this stock reverse its trajectory? Because people are finally going to be excited saying, aha, that's what was the problem was. It wasn't the business. It was the offering. <laughs> so keep track of this one closely. All right. So speaking of you mentioned secondaries, is lemonade as good a, a tell right now? Lemonade has been a short squeeze from beyond uh, beyond hell. If you're a short if you're a short seller and this could pop it, this uh, three million. Uh, but remember, uh, that's not a lot of stock. But Lemonade has been straight up. I like the company very much. I, a lot of people on the staff of Mad Money use it. This is an insurance company. It's not a Lemonade stand. Uh, that said, it's been a short squeeze. And sometimes uh, a stock offering alleviates the short. This may be one of those. I was commenting last night that right. whoever is short this thing has just been crushed. Well, they got an opportunity to cover if they take it. Do you think, I mean, given not that this is all part of the same basket, Jim, because the Zoom correction's been going on for a while, but Lemonade, Tesla down for the first time in, uh, since late December, uh, Bitcoin. You think fevers are breaking? I think that maybe they're out of money for now. Uh, you got to get that new stimulus check. I do think that uh, there are a lot of people who are saying, ah, wow, I've made a ton of money. And you know what? It's not made until you take it off the table. Uh, eliminate, uh, I, I don't know, will eliminate secondary bring more buyers in? Let's see. Another great test of what's happening. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we got some good pre-announcements this morning as well. Some big news in the chip sector out of Intel and Taiwan Semi. More Squawk in the Street continues in a moment. A lot of Fed speak on tap this morning, Jim, as we watch the 10-year. did did get up to 118. Two's tens, steepest in three and a half years. Um, is this a breakout? Uh, I think that that's what the bank stocks are saying. Uh, but it's interesting the housing stocks are saying it's not a breakout. You had a really big move in Lennar yesterday. So I think that there are people who are saying, oh, well, wait a second. Rates, maybe, maybe rates are going to go higher. I better buy a house now. There's one group. There are other people who are saying, listen, it doesn't matter. Rates are, are not going to go up so much. The bank stocks are so clearly saying, uh, you got to buy us before we report because we finally have something good to say. Uh, watch the bank stocks to see whether this movement is for real, because those stocks have been the best in this market other than the oil stocks, which I think are trading much more on the idea that supplies been cut back. Look at these uh, bank stocks. They've been trading like tech stocks, like fintech stocks. Wow. Walmart's a fintech stock, by the way. Let's not forget that in a kind of true nuttiness of what this market's about. Yeah. 
Yeah, we'll talk about uh, UBS goes to buy on Wells this morning. Uh, JMP takes Goldman to 320. Uh, so we will definitely watch the financials. There's the opening bell and the S&P heat map. We are getting some breaking news on GM. We'll go to Phil LeBeau this morning. Hey, Phil. Hey, Carl, General Motors has a new brand. And I know you might be sitting there saying, what? Another brand at GM? It is called Bright Drop. This is where they're going to be selling electric vehicles. And the first vehicle that they're just showing, Mary Barra, the CEO of General Motors, showing it in her virtual CES presentation, it is an electric commercial delivery van. General Motors is going to be uh, selling at least 500 of these. First one's coming later this year. Uh, FedEx will be getting the first 500. So again, guys, commercial electric vans, that's where the focus is for the uh, auto industry when it comes to electric vehicles. Also announcing the EP1. Think of this as an electric pallet. This is uh, animation of the EP1 that they just announced. Essentially, it's for the last mile. So that if you're talking about deliveries from uh, up to the door or into a, a certain location where there's a number of addresses, that's where you might see the EP1. That will be going uh, through and it's being tested with FedEx Express. As you take a look at shares of General Motors, keep in mind, this is the big push for them. It's all about the EV. We are going to be talking with Mary Barra exclusively about this announcement, the new brand, which is called Bright Drop, as well as the growing plans for electric vehicles. That's coming up. Squawk Alley. You guys do not want to miss this interview coming up at 1130. Guys, back to you. It's going to be really that significant. Oh, I'm sorry, we'll Carl. I just wanted to ask about Lordstown, where they indicate that they have demand for 100,000 uh, similar vehicles. Yep. I mean, this is one hot segment. Well, that's, that's, a, that's, that's a pickup truck. Right. So what you're looking at, though, but, it, Jim, it gets to your point. You've talked about this extensively on your show. It's all about the commercial market. And as much as you and I will talk about how we want electric vehicles, and there is a consumer market, they, the automakers all believe the commercial markets, whether it's delivery vans or work trucks, that's the market that's going to take off. Whew. Amazing, Carl. This is what do it. you think, Jim? I mean, uh, yesterday the news was about I mean, some huge realignments in the business. Yesterday it was Ford Brazil, uh, and now this. This Ford Brazil, I, I cannot, I can't stress this enough. This is the new Ford. This is the Farley Ford. I mean, look, they took the, they took their medicine. I mean, we're talking about a gigantic charge, four point one uh, billion, uh, including by the way, two point five billion in cash. They're not going to stop selling vehicles. I keep reading that. No, they're going to continue to sell the profitable Ranger line. Uh, uh, again, you, you've got a, a pickup there, but. This is this is Farley saying we are done losing money. And if you don't think we mean business, we are even closing one of the most important manufacturing markets we have. They'll probably take some heat for it. Uh, Ford, Phil, this is not the old Ford. Jim, let me tell you this. If you went into Alan Mulally's office when he was at Ford, there was a painting on the wall of Henry Ford. And, it, and, and I believe the quote underneath, and I could be getting this wrong, was something to the extent of a vehicle for every person everywhere. And in that painting, he, it was about foreign markets that Ford was going to, Henry Ford envisioned them ultimately selling it, including Brazil in South America, all these other countries down there. And for years, Jim, you would do these reports, or I would do these <laughs> reports, and they were losing billions of dollars. South America has been nothing but a money loser for them. They believe this will be a part of turning it around. And you're right. Jim Farley is doing what needs to be done. If you're not making money in a particular area or on a particular vehicle, stop building it. 
And that's what he's, he's pushing forward to finally move in that direction. Phil, I've got to tell you, uh, the idea that we are not going to hear about Brazil on a conference call, you and I are so right. I used to speak to Alan Mulally, <laughs> and I'd say, well, Alan, you're doing all these great things, but Brazil. And then Mark Fields would get it. Well, you're doing all these great things, but Brazil, yep. no, Farley will not hear that anymore. And by the way, he's got roots and uh, he's born down there. So I think that you're right. The picture of what Henry Ford stood for is something that the Ford family realizes. I think, you know what? We got to go with Farley. The board's got to go with Farley. I'm going with Farley. Carl, this is so significant that I think that people have to start focusing. I like GM when we have that interview. These companies are tired of looking at Tesla go up every day. They want to play a role. They want to be in the mix. Phil, uh, we'll see in a bit uh, with Mary Barr, of course, as Phil said at 1130. Jim, it's an interesting time because you got uh, this GM news. You got Amazon investing in Rivian. You've got the new Mustang Mach-E. And then you got crude at 11-month highs. Look, I, I think that there could be a case that people, uh, the young buyers, of course, of stocks, want to set back fossil fuels. But the traditional industrial, I mean, Goldman Sachs had a piece today saying, listen, it's a great reflation trade. That's not what the young people are thinking. The young people are looking at plug power and they see this uh, Renault deal and they say, you know what? Plug power is the way to go. That's hydrogen, green hydrogen that leaves no footprint. Uh, I, I think, once again, Ford wants to be selling the, uh, the F-150 that's going to be electric, this unbelievable interview that Phil's got with Mary Barra. Uh, and you want to buy crude at a certain point, crude is going to run headlong into EV. A lot of people feel in three years EV will go from 3% to 10%. I think that EV's got all the money in the world, as we keep hearing. And I think that's going to accelerate the demise of this giant move in the oil stocks. I'd be very careful of those. Uh, they're a trade. They are not an investment. Right. Right. Um, although um, uh, some of the names here, uh, not really. The leaders on the Dow right now are really Goldman and Walmart, too, Jim, with this um, new fintech startup that it's working on with the backers of Robinhood as the evolution of Walmart continues from a simple retailer to more of an advertising uh, and financial colossus. Yeah, uh, my chapel just owns Walmart, and I said, Ugh, I hope this stock isn't up big because it's not sustainable. And the stock jumped to 150, it's up to 149. And you know, Walmart's been doing so many great things and it hasn't meant anything. This press release moved the stock up, and I think that uh, I'm a little jaundiced about that. I think people should be buying Walmart because the company's doing well. But if it takes a press release to talk fintech, yeah, uh, geez. I mean, there you go. Uh, the people uh, are the buyers. If they hear fintech and they hear uh, anything involving crypto, they just want in. And I think that that's going to end up being foolish. Right now, you should own Walmart because Walmart's doing well. But I'm sure Doug McMillan is laughing, saying, "You know, look, we this is just a press release. We were doing really well. How come we're not getting any credit for that?" And the answer is because <laughs> the the younger buyers. The Robin Hood buyers, the Merriman buyers, they, they just want to be in, in, in something that's a, a play on, on crypto. They don't seem to care that Walmart's doing well. They'd rather just see that they're right. getting into this business. Hey, if Target gets in, Target can go up 10%. Target stock is doing really well just <laughs> on being Target. Can you imagine? Can you imagine yes. if they said, you know what? What we're going to do is we're going to sell, we're going to take Bitcoin. It's like, holy cow, that's Target. That's a different Brian Cornell is revolutionary. Let's buy Target. No, he's not going to do it. By the way, just I'm just he's not going to do that. And, but that would right. move that stock to 210. 
a press release yeah. about Bitcoin. <laughs> uh, Jim, you've been um, you've been making day after day points about uh, the chips and Taiwan Semi in particular. Uh, today, it's this uh, news about Taiwan Semi and Intel trying to find solutions here for seven nanometer. Yeah, look, Taiwan Semi is the jewel of the crown of the United States semiconductor market, except for it's in Taiwan. Uh, I think that when you see a lot of uh, saber rattling about how we're going to defend Taiwan, the Taiwan Semi may be the most important company when it comes to uh, supporting U.S. technology. The idea that Intel's running up the flag and going to them, wow. Intel's always been the great manufacturer. Uh, it, it's Intel and Micron. Everybody else kind of uses Taiwan Semi because they're so good at it. Uh, this is, once again, a recognition that the old Intel is uh, no more. Uh, but when, uh, when Pompeo goes over and talks about Ty- Taiwan, no, make no mistake about it, that's about Taiwan Semi. Uh, because we can't live without Taiwan Semi. We outsource the making of technology of semiconductors to Taiwan Semi. And uh, the fact that it's not talked about enough is a shame, because if that goes, if suddenly the Chinese say, you know what, this is just another Hong Kong. Well, they would cut us off nine ways to Sunday. So let's watch to see if that happens. That's something that the president had. If he had been a little more focused and less arbitrary and capricious, he would have been defending Taiwan Semi instead of uh, kind of you know, putting someone on a blacklist of selling stock. But they yeah. had their way of doing things. And. They had their way of doing uh, it, things. Th- th- there was a disturbing interview uh, in foreign policy yesterday, Jim, with Rex Tillerson, a former secretary of state, who um, believes that uh, we will face military conflict with China within the decade, and it will be related to Taiwan. He believes uh, Xi's endgame is, uh, is to reclaim that. And at some point, the U.S., in Tillerson's view, is going to have to ask, we have to ask ourselves, what are we willing to do uh, to protect uh, our interests and Taiwanese interests in that island. <laughs> Didn't really care for Tillerson when he's running Exxon. He has become, he, he's like George Kennan in 1947. This guy is a true visionary, and I think that yeah. he's absolutely right. We look, look, by the way, this country has almost no COVID. It's a very organized, terrific country that's really a great ally of ours. We don't recognize it because the Chinese won't let us recognize it. Uh, but pe- make no mistake about it. They're a very key manufacturing arm of the United States. I think that Tillerson, once again, has distinguished himself as a visionary, uh, tough, hard visionary, but Taiwan does represent what the Chinese want. I, you know, I, I really uh, wish, Carl, Jim- that they listened to him. If they had listened to him, yeah. he's such an important figure when it comes to these things. That was also one of his complaints, <laughs> yeah. was trying to get listened to uh, in the administration. So we're right at 3,800 on this Tuesday morning. Obviously, a lot of news to come today. Let's get to Bob Pisani. Morning, Bob. Good morning, uh, guys. Happy Tuesday. And you're right, 3,800. And no follow-through to the modest sell-off that we got yesterday. This has been characteristic the last couple of months. You get one down day and nothing next day. There's no real trend on the downside. Take a look at the sectors. And today is looking a lot like the way the year so far has been shaping up with cyclical groups uh, like energy stocks, bank stocks leading, consumer discretionary to classic cyclicals. Tech are flattish. The exception this year, as Jim has pointed out, are semiconductor stocks. They've been performing really well. The rest of tech has been slightly underperforming the overall market. And defensive names like consumer staples and healthcare generally are underperforming. This has been the trend for a while. As for the market, it really depends on the vaccine rollout. Uh, 
not so great in the beginning of the year. It looks like it's getting a little bit better. In terms of what's moving the markets here, think of the buckets, vaccines and stimulus versus virus and taxes. That'll be a bit down the road, taxes, but that's on the horizon. Uh, and of course, for vaccines versus virus, that's determining the pace of the recovery. Those vaccine rollouts starting to look a little bit better after very slow rollout. Other issues, valuations. S&P 500 is more than 16% above its 200-day moving average. That's really stretched. Normally, the S&P is about, oh, 8 or 9% above its 200-day moving average if it's bullish. This is really bullish. And the yield curve we've been talking about, that's been steepening, helping out things uh, for the bank stocks, but could be an issue down the road here. In terms of the leadership, it's been shifting. We've been noting this for the last several days now. Energy, banks, and materials have become the leadership groups now. Technology is generally flat, except for semis, which have been outperforming, and consumer staples and utilities have been the lagging groups. It's really banks that you want to be looking at. As a group, banks are up 30% since the election. That is far outperformed. What's the S&P up? 11 or 12%. So remember, banks underperformed all last year, and they are now playing catch up. Look at these moves up in the big money center banks like Citigroup uh, up 50 percent and J.P. Morgan up 34 percent. Even the super regional banks are all up about 30 percent like Bank of America and PNC. Those are big moves. And this yield curve higher is benefiting other groups that you might not think of necessarily like the online brokers. Charles Schwab has a very significant banking operation. Schwab has moved up aggressively in the last few days. That is a historic high for Charles Schwab that we're sitting at right now. Bank of America, in fact, upgraded them today precisely because of the banking operations here being positively impacted uh, by the yield curve. So remember, banks up about 30 percent. And of course, the issue, Carl, for us now as we go into earnings season is banks are a leadership group going into earnings season. And they're, of course, traditionally start. J.P. Morgan will start on Friday. Carl, we haven't seen this in a long, long time. The banks are a leadership group going into earnings season. Normally, for recent memory, they've been lagging. We'll see what goes on. And remember, a lot of these banks, even with the moves up, they're still relatively cheap. It's a perfect setup going into Friday's start of earnings season. Carl, back to you. Yeah, uh, Friday's going to be big, uh, Bob. Thanks. Let's get to Rick Santelli, who, of course, is watching the curve uh, yields and the Fed speak that we're going to get today. Hey, Rick. Hello, Carl. Indeed. Uh, the Fed speakers probably are going to address some of the issues we're going to be discussing. Look at a one week of tens. Looks to be the sixth week, we're, sixth day we're going to close higher. We'll have to see. But right now we are up a basis point. When I say close higher, I'm talking yields, which would correspond to closing lower in price, of course. And as we sit at 1.16 percent, so 116, we're up on the year 24 basis points. We settled the last day of the year at 92 base points. That's basically a Fed tightening. Remember what the Fed says. Lower for longer on the short end, but the market still has a bit of a pulse, even with a huge thumb on the scale. Open the chart up to March. You can see we're being aiming for that 119 area. And I believe that was the 18th of March's close. And when we switch gears to boons, here's one month of the boons versus tens. You can clearly see that we set the stage here. All rates are moving up together, and there's very different dynamics uh, for each economy, of course. Ours right now is the potential for lots of spending and how that may impact not only interest rates, but the dollar, inflation, all in play potentially. And the dollar index, well, look at one week of the dollar index and realize that last Tuesday, we had a 32-month low close, and we've been pretty much moving up every session. Five ups. Today, unlike Treasuries, uh, it looks like it's taking a bit of a break, 
but it's too close to call. And finally, the biggest question everybody is asking is, where are rates going to go? How fast can they go? Real quickly, let's go to the whiteboard. Here's 10-year note yield starting in September of 2019. Here's that 119 I was referencing in March. We're getting very close to testing it. But if we go back in time, this is most likely the zone we're going to be visiting between 150 and 170. The question is, until we start to slow down on this, we're guns hot. We could get there awfully quick. Carl and Jim, back to you. Oh, nice to see the whiteboard uh, back out, Rick. We'll see you in a bit. Uh, Rick Santelli. Uh, coming up later this morning, uh, Albertson's getting a lift on quarterly results with a beat and a raise. Stocks at an all-time high. How's the supermarket operator navigating the pandemic? We'll talk to Vivek Sankaran uh, in the next hour. Don't go away. We must plan our economic resurgence. We simply cannot stay closed until the vaccine hits critical mass. The cost is too high. We will have nothing left to open. We must reopen the economy, but we must do it smartly and safely. That's Governor Cuomo with the State of the State address yesterday, Jim. As um, more governors speak out about uh, vaccine guidelines, I know you've mentioned Florida earlier in the hour. Governor DeSantis says that HHS now is basically telling states to do what Florida is doing, that almost 400,000 seniors in Florida have received a shot. Yeah, I mean, look, I didn't know there are a lot of people who feel that Florida's a free for all. I've gotten a lot of email even since I mentioned I want to go there to get it, but uh I, I'm not saying I'm getting from an undisclosed area, but it, uh, South Florida has been moving pretty, pretty quickly. Uh, Governor Cuomo, obviously a bit of, at odds with uh, the mayor. I mean, look, I, I, own a, I mothballed my restaurant, my bar. Um, it's really cold outside. You can have all the heaters in the world. People are just not that interested in eating outside right now. Uh, there are ways. I mean, uh, Dr. Uh, Kimberly Prather, who is probably the foremost person who's talking with the Biden task force about how to open something. It involves how to uh, control the aerosol. Uh, you need carbon dioxide uh, monitors like they have in Japan. You need ventilation. I, I wish that people would talk about how a, a handbook of how to open. But there is none. And it's pure chaos. And I think Governor Cuomo was right it really takes a strong constitution and making it so that a restaurant is really just a hobby to stay. Uh, so I do hope that there's some coordination between the mayor and the governor. It, it's been suboptimal between the two. Boy, I love that word. No, it, it's a definite, definite uh, stumble out of the block. This is what the mayor said on New York One yesterday about the ongoing early vaccine process. The real world problem is going to be lack of vaccine. At the rate we're going, we're going to be out in two weeks or so. Mm. If we don't start to get bigger resupplies, you know, we're talking about a constantly escalating level of giving vaccines here. 100,000 this last week, we hit that goal. We're going to hit 175,000 this week. By the last week of January, it's going to be 400,000 we can do in a week. Mm -hmm. The question is going to be, is there going to be vaccine to actually achieve our goals? So they're giving vaccines, Jim, in New York City 24 hours a day now. Right. Uh, actually, the issue now is public transportation to those sites in the middle of the night. But it sounds like you don't think a shortage is going to be the issue. No, I mean, I, I look, the mayor ought to get, we, uh, all the bookers have uh, Pfizer. You could call Meg, uh, get the Pfizer uh, phone number, uh, call McKesson, uh, and get all the vaccine you want. But those, that requires 
a tremendous amount of digging. You got to watch CNBC. You got to call Meg. You got to get those numbers. No, forget it. No, it's just forget that I even mentioned that. That's no, that's, that's way too hard. Hey, we're we're a public service, Jim, in all kinds of ways. Well, maybe he doesn't know. We'll take Meg. a short break here. Uh, don't go anywhere. We're back in a minute. Let's get to Jim and stop trading. Bulldogs tend not to like uh, Alabama, so it's probably disappointing for anyone who is a University of Georgia supporter. But uh, you know what? There's something good to be saying about Jenna Drosos and Signet, who is a huge Georgia fan and has done a remarkable job. If you take a look at SIG, uh, the jeweler, you will see a comeback like you wouldn't believe. It's not being heralded enough. I've got to give this uh, CEO incredible credit for a company that many people thought could not survive this period. What a run, and it's not over, Gin and Drosos. Wow. Uh, it flies in the face of so many things we'd heard about. Luxury, Jim, and jewelry in particular. Uh, well, I can't wait to hear more. Maybe that's um, just because she's a great CEO. How about tonight? Okay, I got a company called Car Auction Services. I'm looking for anything involving auto, because auto is so hot. And I can't wait to hear Mary Barra today uh, for uh, Phil LeBeau, because this is a, uh, a move in the trans, let's say in the tangential autos, like Ford and GM, not to be believed. And I'm trying to catch it any way I can, whether it be Lithium Motors, whether it be car auction services. We got to be there, Carl. And of course, anything EV, if those two letters are behind it, I'm on it. Yeah, Mary Barra at 1130. We'll see you tonight, Jim. Thank you. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Today's top story, the flavor merger of the century between the peanut butter group and Chocolatey Corp. Joining me is a PBC executive. Thanks for having me, Barry. Now, how did you know the merger and the byproduct of it, Jif peanut butter and chocolate flavored spread, would be a success? You know, it was a gut feeling, a rumbling, if you will. Besides, they're two titans of taste. Very true. Goes great with pretzels. And pancakes. Apples too, I bet. Try Jif PBC today.